Hey, it's Isabel. This is a little bit extra for the podcast feed. This is actually the audio of a LinkedIn live stream I just did with Lauren Rosavi, who is a digital nomad, uh, author, expert activist about working across borders. Um, and she and I um, are friends and together we have something like 20 years of experience of working remotely and across borders and in um, distributed or remote team. Uh, and so we got into what that means and how you can make it work in your organizations now that so many people are working remotely and want to stick with it past the pandemic. So that's uh, something we did on LinkedIn Live. Uh, so you can see the video as well on LinkedIn or on YouTube, or you can just listen to the audio here. And if you're interested in this kind of stuff, we're going to be doing another one next week, same time. So that's Wednesday, July 14th, at 1 p.m. London time. So that's 2 p.m. in Europe and that's 8 a.m. in New York. So look to my LinkedIn, look to the newsletter and all my social feeds to get the links or the YouTube channel. So again, that's me and Lauren Rosavi talking about remote and distributed and hybrid work and how to make it work. And next week, we'll be talking about how to build a global career, the thing that you need to think about, the things that you need to think about uh, right now, if you're thinking about transforming your career and taking it in a direction that gives you a little bit more freedom of location. So that's what we'll be getting into next week, since apparently everyone is quitting their job right now because they don't want to go back to the office. All right, I'll let you listen and I'll talk to you soon. Hello, hello everyone. We are live, I believe. Hi, I'm Isabel Hogal and I am joined today by Lauren. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Isabel. I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah, this is so much more fun to be doing this uh, with company rather than uh, rather than on my own. I, I find this so much better than a monologue. Um, introduce yourself to, to get us going, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Lauren Rosavi uh, and I'm a writer and activist. Um, I'm currently writing a book about digital nomads, which is called Global Natives, uh, and that's coming out in September. And I'm a tech policy fellow at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, looking at remote work and the future of citizenship. Yeah, congratulations on that. I thought that was a, that was a recent announcement. That's really cool. Uh, and I look forward to reading the book and definitely having you on the podcast when that comes out. Um, oh, wow. And I'm, I mean, if you're following me on LinkedIn, uh, on YouTube, you kind of already know who I am, but uh, I'm Isabel Hugal. I am uh, the founder, host, producer, one woman behind the one woman show that is uh, Borderline, which is a podcast, a newsletter, a community, a media for uh, defiant global citizens covering kind of lives lived across borders. Um, and I was in my previous uh, life, the um, international editor at LinkedIn on this very platform. Um, hence, uh, being here quite a bit and, and having this experience of managing um, a remote team. And so I was, as I was saying in the post announcing this, uh, the two of us together have like a couple decades of experience of uh, doing all the things people have been doing during the pandemic, you know, working remotely and on Zoom and all of that and, and around across time zones and borders. Um, so that's what we're going to get into today. Um, let's start by defining some terms. And I want to say hello to everyone. I can't even um, keep up with the chat, but I love seeing uh, everyone mentioning the country that they're from, like Turkey, Pakistan. Um, that's awesome. So hello, everyone. By the way, we'll be taking questions. So like drop them in the stream. Uh, we'll absolutely be answering them. Um, Cameroon, Bangladesh, it's so cool. 
Um, so yeah, super let's borderless, do- right? Sorry, super borderless crowd we have with us. I know, I know. Somaliland, man, that's cool. That's like uh, one of those like countries that are, um, are you know, countries. There's a whole documentary about that is really fascinating. Places that don't exist. Um, all right, so uh, Danielle. I love these, uh, seeing these followers uh, come back. All right, so let's get into our topic. Let's um, define some terms. What do we mean? Uh, you're the one that taught me the difference between remote and distributed, and now there's a new word, hybrid, that's everywhere. Can you define what those are? Yeah, sure. So I kind of think to put the human face on this, it probably makes sense to talk about how my experience and your experience is a little bit different. So uh, you were working uh, for LinkedIn and kind of building this international team um, and very much working in the remote context. But if I'm correct, like you had colleagues in offices around the world, right? Yes, yes. So often um, editors would be kind of alone as an editor in that office, but there were other functions um, around. So they weren't working, you know, from home or from, you know, the company was was present and had an office and all of that. But then our boss was in New York and the, the bulk of the organization was in the United States. Cool. So yeah, for me, when I was a managing editor for Google, um, and I did a couple of other roles for Google kind of over the years, but I was working uh, as part of a distributed team. And essentially, I think the difference is really in uh, to be remote, you have to be remote from something, whereas distributed uh, is just kind of like remote by design, if you like, it's, it's distributed by design. So the team that I was running and the teams that I've worked as part of in tech have been fully distributed. So there was no kind of like manager sitting in the office, uh, sort of not located with the remote workers but instead the entire team was completely distributed so everybody was working from home or from their own co-working space so I think this is a a sort of an interesting thing for us to think about now because there's been a lot of talk this past year about remote work for obvious reasons but actually the move that I think businesses need to be making is towards more distributed structures um, meaning that you're sort of designing for the people who aren't in the room every Mm. single time uh, you kind of make a decision uh, or do something. And now uh, with things sort of beginning to reopen, et cetera, we have the rise of hybrid work, which is sort of part in the office and part remote. Um, And I think we're gonna dig into that a little bit and kind of like the the do's and don'ts uh, in our conversation today. Um, But I think the biggest thing to be aware of uh, is that remote first, um, uh, sorry, Remote suggests uh, being remote from something. Distributed suggests that everyone's kind of on equal footing uh, and that actually there perhaps isn't an office that, uh, mm. that people can gather in. I'm sensing a bit of a um, preference in the way that you're, in the way you're, you're uh, describing it. Why do you think that distributed is better than remote? Or, or do you? That's kind of what I'm getting, but. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Because um, I think remote is kind of this half step on the way to distribute it. So we're kind of in this environment now where everybody is talking about remote work, but kind of not taking the conversation beyond that idea of not being located somewhere. Whereas if you think more about teams, if you think more about kind of redesigning and future proofing businesses, uh, it's really a distributed mindset you need to have. So in practice, that means making sure that you're kind of redesigning 
functions so that decisions aren't being made by like the three people who are in an office and then sort of being reported to the 20 people who are not uh, in that office, who are remote workers. Um, so we need to master uh, asynchronous communication, i.e. not uh, making decisions in a room together, but instead uh, kind of communicating in a more thoughtful and intentional way. Um, and it's really, really important um, to uh, get really serious about documentation. So there are some great companies out there who are leaders in the remote world, um, like GitLab and Ghost and WordPress, um, who create extensive documentation and really document every decision and process, review that stuff and make it useful for every employee or entire teams within the organization and at labs case a lot of their stuff is actually fully public so anyone can access it and kind of gain from their knowledge uh, of how to how to design a business in this way and how to work in this way yeah that's awesome you're reminding me um there's a former colleague of mine uh, brian sue um i don't know if he's here but i'll sh i'll share his stuff he, do he does this great like um he's a um, data guy and he does these great like TikTok videos and videos on LinkedIn about what it's like to work. And he had a hilarious one the other day about like finding who's the owner on a particular project or product. And like, that's really basic information. But I remember being so frustrated. It would take me like over a day of like emailing around and all of that to find out because you're not like in the room with these people. So you never know, uh, you can't just go up to someone's desk and, and find that information. So documentation is so important. Um, you reminded me also of a conversation that I feel like we didn't have enough, um, especially, you know, when people started talking about how, you know, the pandemic had revealed remote work, everyone was going to like get back to that because it was so much better. And people talk about how it's so much better, you know, for working parents or for people who are disabled and, and maybe cannot, um, you know, access the office as easily. The thing that bothered me with that, and, and it gets to what you're talking about, remote versus distributed, is if you're just remote, you're also remote from the centers of power. And so by you know, we're, we're pretending that we're making work more accessible, but actually we're still marginalizing people who can't be there physically um, in the room with the decision makers, right? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Like um, so much of uh, designing for this new world of work is really about questioning hierarchy and reassessing where power lies. Um, I think we've seen a huge pushback actually to a bigger extent than, uh, than I was expecting from workers who want remote, who want flexibility, who are sort of, I guess, like renegotiating the kind of standard contract or the standard terms uh, of what it means to be an employee. Uh, and I think that's really important. I think that uh, there are a lot of managers who perhaps want people back in the office because they're not quite sure how to be a manager in a remote context and it would be <laughs> easier to just kind of get everyone back where they can see them. Yeah. But actually, I think like the whole the whole like negotiation of work has changed. And we're seeing all over the US right now, um, people quitting their jobs uh, because they're not happy with how their companies are kind of transitioning uh, or sort of adjusting to this new world. Um, I think we're gonna keep seeing that. I do think that there's been quite a big power shift over the past year from companies setting the tone and setting all the rules to individuals now. Um, it's it's kind of up to you, like what you can, uh, like what you, what you wanna get out of work, how you want it to fit in with the rest of your life.
And I guess I'm completely biased on this because as somebody who's been a remote worker for such a long time and a digital nomad, I really believe that people should be able to sort of have the freedom to define their own lives um, and that work should fit into that rather than be the kind of leading force that defines absolutely everything else that you're able to do. It's funny. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like the pandemic has just been like this kind of like watershed where a lot of things that were brewing, you know, were just accelerated, which is true in a lot of in a lot of areas. Um, but I, I, you know, it's funny because it's a decision that I made just before the pandemic uh, for for myself to um, leave a corporate job and and you know kind of figure things out on my own. And uh, so many people now are coming to me, being like, "Oh, how did you do this? Like, why?" Uh, you know, give me some pointers and everything. And you're talking about the difficulty of managing remotely. Uh, hit me up because I did that for years uh, with hiring and managing. I think we'll do another like just on that another live because mm. there there are uh, many many um, you know tips and tricks doing that. But I think a fundamental one is is trust. Um, like the the old world of work, if you're still thinking I'm a manager, therefore I'm the boss, and for I tell you what to do, that's never going to work in a distributed or remote or hybrid world, right? Like you, first, you got to empower the individual. You got to hire people that you can trust that you know are you know smart and are going to do the right things. And you just got to let go of the illusion of control because you have none. <laughs> totally. I actually said to a, a client recently, um, you know, like if you can't trust your workers to to get the work done and kind of like handle their own hours, et cetera, uh, then like the problem that you have is not really about getting people back to the office and working set hours. The problem you have is that you're not actually building trust with the people that you're employing. Um, and I think that's, that's really fundamental because without trust, you get very, very toxic company culture. And that, I think that's applicable whether it's in an office or in a virtual environment. Yeah, I'm loving what um, I'm saying here. I'm learning how to make comments show up on the screen. This is really cool. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. I'm at like the human interaction, the human element is super important. Um, I think where a lot of organizations um, are, are wrong is um, when they think, oh, we're just going to go um, distributed or remote to like save money. Because yeah, you're not uh, you know, you're not paying for real estate, you're not paying for an office, but you better have a really good travel budget. Like right now, obviously, uh, it's not possible in a lot of places for a lot of reason. But when I was building my my global team, um, it, you know, we I first when I started out before I was a manager, um, we were a much smaller team and my boss was in New York and I was um, in Paris at the time. And um, I had a quarterly trip like that was part of the deal. I was in New York every two, three months uh, because I had to, especially in the beginning when you don't really know people, I had to gel with them. Uh, and every, it's also like about motivation and inspiration. Every trip kind of charged me up for the next three months and like really motivated me because it can be hard to be kind of isolated. And then when I built my own team, same, you know, I mean, yeah, I did a lot of interviewing, hiring remotely. Um, but you know, I try to go and visit the offices to, we would find like a central city that we could all uh, join in. And then we would have um, yearly kind of offsite, like big, you know, everyone, like 50 of us together, uh, you know, socializing, you know, working, but also just getting to know each other as people. I think that's super important.
Mm, I totally agree. I think it's um it's a bit of a nuance that's being missed in a lot of the conversation about um the switch to remote right now. It's like just because you may not have the same level of office space as before doesn't mean that there's no in-person interaction. It just sort of means that you have to reassess what the value and the purpose of those interactions are. So I think a really good example is um, the company Automatic, uh, who uh, founded WordPress, they're the creators behind uh, WordPress.com. Um, those guys organize uh, a grand meetup, I think is the language that they use, but they bring together all 1500 of their employees who are based in something like 70 countries around the world. They bring them together in one place. And then that's a very sort of intensive in-person experience, a, a sort of company retreat, um, which obviously costs a lot of money, but also delivers a lot of value because uh, these team members are able to kind of come together in person, have a really like pleasant social time whilst also kind of getting to know one, one another um, more professionally. Uh, and then when they kind of go away, when they go back to home or less kind of remote work environment, those relationships relationships are a lot stronger you're able to remember sort of have these shared memories of that time at dinner or when somebody had too many glasses of wine um, and I think that that side of things is really really important and I'll just um I'm gonna keep like cheerleading for GitLab um, because they truly <laughs> are like doing everything right I think um, but uh, those guys make available um, a fund so that members of their teams are able to um, basically go through a small a short process uh, and then be able to be funded by the company to go visit a colleague in another city or another country and things like that I think um, companies can sometimes be a bit resistant to it because they envision absolutely everybody taking a trip every other week but in practice like people don't want to travel all the time they're probably just going to take a couple of trips per year and that's again going to be really really meaningful for sort of having that um that colleague relationship that i think a lot of people which is completely understandable after the last year and a half are seeing remote work as an incredibly isolating and lonely thing whereas i think that the kind of next stage, if we say we've done remote work during a pandemic, the next stage is going to be distributed work. And I think it's just a really, really exciting time to be an employee or to be running a team or running a business. Yeah. Um, like what Margaret is saying, you know, started remote and after six months, I've only met two of my coworkers. One was in a parking lot. <laughs> uh, man, I, I cannot imagine starting a gig remotely right now. Like props to you because that is really hard. And that's something that, um, you know, when I, again, when I was hiring, uh, remotely, the one thing that we always did is like week one is in person onboarding, you know, I fly to them, they fly to me, we fly to somewhere in common to New York or whatever, but, but we are um, getting together and that's really important. So starting remotely um, is hard, but I, I love what you're saying about like meeting someone in a parking lot. That's actually something um, I've noticed got a few people doing. Um, you know, during the pandemic is, yeah, the offices were closed, uh, but you, you could still, you know, have several people, especially in big cities from the company in the same city, and there's nothing stopping you, you know, meeting for a walk in the park or, or something like that. Um, what I do like about, you know, not having to work in the office, uh, and I know it's something that a lot of people are big fans of, is, you know, working in coffee shops, working in co-working spaces, working in... Um, I don't know if you experienced that when you were at Google. One thing that frustrated me, frustrated me working in tech is that it felt um, divorced from the community because a lot of the people, and that's, you know, that's a whole other issue, but a lot of the people who work in tech kind of have the same backgrounds, the same age. Um, 
you know, the same interests. And so the chances that you're going to meet uh, an, an older person, an immigrant, a, uh, someone who works in a completely different field, um, end up being pretty low. And since you're working like all the time and you're having your meals in the office as well, because food is provided, um, you're just, yeah, you're in that bubble and that disconnects you from your users, from your customers, from your community, from the people you're doing this work for in the first place. Right. Mm. Yeah, I have to say um, my experience was pretty different, but that's probably because I was never in an office for Google. Mm. Um, mm. So I was working, uh, first of all, like my first contract for Google um, gave me a very strange impression of the world because um, I was kind of fresh out of university. It was a project being run by two like badass distributed women leaders uh, within the company in different locations. Um, and we were basically able to, um, to just collaborate in this distributed fashion. I guess this would have been like 2014, um, but we were able to kind of collaborate in this distributed fashion, um, which to me felt incredibly intuitive. Um, and so we were kind of able to, uh, to do that. And the team was very, very diverse and very, very international. Um, later on, when I was leading a team, I made a real conscious effort to be working with people across borders and across cultures um, because I was running creative teams and creativity definitely uh, doesn't just remain within one nation's borders. Um, so, yeah, I think that for me, although I, I sort of heard from, from colleagues uh, who have who've worked for the big tech companies about these kinds of experiences of really like living at the office, um, I would say that my experience was very, very different because I was a remote worker throughout throughout that experience yeah um yeah that's great I I I hate to be that person who's now going to complain about like the free gym and the free meals and everything <laughs> um it was wonderful and the the company was wonderful the people I met there were wonderful but there is there is that sense that you know after a while that you're yeah you're in a bubble really um and um and it's good to get out um Ahmet was making another uh, good point, and then we have a question from Martella um, on on uh, young people kind of needing. I mean, he's talking about students, but you can you know kind of extend that as well to younger professionals needing the structure and the discipline of an office. And I also think about them like just needing to be able to absorb um, the codes of the of working life and the mentorship. Like, how do you how do you get that as a really young uh, worker, um, if you're not in the physical presence of other people, if you're just behind your screen. Uh, I think it, it really comes down to whether the company that you're working for has, in fact, designed their distributed systems well, whether, in fact, you're going to get that structure and discipline that I think people just instinctively think comes from the office, but does not always, depending on like the company you're working for. But if it's a distributed company and they have the right processes in place, you will get exactly the same value um, that you would expect from the office in that way of the structure, of the discipline, um, of kind of meeting people. And, and learning the, the kind of ropes. Um, I really don't think that changes in a virtual environment. I just think that it's really ground into us um, because previous generations had that experience that somehow, you know, the office water cooler is where all the best ideas come from. Um, and I guess my response to that is like, there are an awful lot of water coolers on the internet. 
and you can be in your pajamas while you uh, while you access them. Um, but that's that's a very uh, sort of remote first mentality. But in fact, um, I can't remember if I was recommending this to you the other day, Isabel. But there's um, there's a book. Uh, I think it's called Managing Talent in the Networked Age, and it's a uh, like Reed Hoffman and uh, of LinkedIn is one of the um, the authors of that book. And mm -hmm. in it, they essentially argue that um, the future of careers. Uh, is going to be more about the kind of networks you cultivate as an individual rather than about um, working for a particular company and sort of playing by that one company's rules. Mm. I really think that's true and it really reflects my experience. Like I've been a remote worker since 2010. I've been a digital nomad since 2013. And I have not at all struggled with not having a physical presence in an office for more than you know the occasional week maybe uh, every year or two um in fact i've really been able to take advantage and i guess not get distracted by some of the distractions the office politics um and just really kind of forge my own path and i'd really encourage anyone who is worried about that particularly younger people to just stop kind of um stop kind of like thinking about the negatives and just start thinking about how you can embed yourself in communities and industries and things that you're really passionate and excited about. I think there's um, a huge opportunity for a more kind of bespoke individual to you uh, career in the future. Um, and yeah, if, you're, if your current company really sucks at remote work, like choose another. A lot of people <laughs> are doing that right now. Yeah, yeah. And, um, in there, and there are, you know, as you said, like the, your, your, uh, professional activity, networking, your learning doesn't have to be either within the company that, that employs you or that you work for. Um, you know, there are professional events, there are networks there, are, you know, in London, I'm part of, um, hacks hackers, which is a group for, um, people who work kind of at the intersection of media and technology, which is, which is my sweet spot. Um, there are, you know, there's just a lot of different organizations that, that you can join and that you can have that physical, um, interaction, uh, you know, like what, what Khaled was saying, which is, uh, uh, you know, that the socializing aspect, um, can be challenging when you're working, um, uh, remotely. Uh, but yes, the comment is too long for the screen, but yes, you have Slack, you have activities, you have things that you can do um, mm. in person for sure. If I can just um, add something there, I think yep. something uh, that, you know, whether you're a new employee, an old employee, uh, whether you're a manager, whether you're a boss, I really think that something everyone should be thinking about right now with their teams is designing rituals to kind of facilitate that social side. And now that sounds like it's just going to be absolutely terrible. But the reason that I'm actually saying it uh, to everybody here is because I don't think those things work very well just as a top down kind of thing, like like the the people who run the company telling you how it's going to work. I think a lot of it builds from the bottom. It's more like grassroots. Um, and so, for example, um, arranging like a monthly town hall where everybody can kind of get together for an hour and maybe there's some kind of structure, but the main idea is so that anyone can bring anything they're struggling with to the table on like a company level or organizing a couple of hours each week where you're doing co-working sprints via Zoom. So you, a bunch of you can log in together, someone does a bit of an introduction um, and you just kind of work together and you know what, you perhaps know what you're working on and kind of can collaborate live uh, a little bit like you might in the office. Um, these kinds of things can just really, really help to actually build company culture in virtual environments. When I've worked um, on like loads of different projects, this is like really important if you aren't meeting in person 
person is to still kind of understand what your check-in points are and to have those more informal and kind of casual interactions um, day to day or week to week as well. So like rather than feeling bad, if you notice something that's really not working, like really feel empowered to uh, suggest something and perhaps run it or sort of be the one who sets things up and then rotate running it amongst colleagues. Mm. There was, uh, you reminded me of um, one th one such ritual that I absolutely loved. It was in person, but it could absolutely work out remotely. Uh, and this was what um, Pulse, which was a startup that LinkedIn acquired back in, gosh, 2013, I think. Um, and then when they first joined the company, um, I, I was at one of their all hands in, uh, in San Francisco. And um, they had this tradition uh, where kind of everyone could speak up uh, and say, you know, whatever there was on their mind, but it was, um, I like, I wish, I wonder. And it was like the, the sentence had to start by I like, or I wish, or I wonder. And it just like created this like um, kind of amazing uh, brainstorm where people like, you know, mm -hmm. I like, you know, this new product feature. I wonder why, you know, we're not doing this, whatever. And um, it just, I was such, so wonderful. Uh, and it, you know, it's a simple ritual, but it just gives people like that framework to rather than just say, hey, tell us what you think, which can be a little bit like, oh, mm. <laughs> uh, Maybe just one more thing to add to yeah. that. Um, since I, I know we're both members of uh, London Writers Salon, I think those guys mm -hmm. are a really interesting example of sort of building um, remote or industry infrastructure actually outside the bounds of a company. So if I can say really, really briefly, um, essentially uh, these awesome people who run London Writers Salon, um, Matt and Perul, when the whole world went into lockdown last year, they decided to kind of move, I think what were like months events online and they started writer's hour which you can check out on writershour.com and basically it's a free writing sprint at i think it's 8 a.m in like four different time zones every weekday uh, and it's grown so that there are hundreds of people um, who are attending these these sessions every single day um, and so this is kind of like in my view a writing community infrastructure. Um, and it's really, really cool to just kind of have these things in a remote context that you can show up to and that you can kind of feel in, in community um, around. So I think the kind of takeaway, uh, the reason that I bring this up as an, ex as an example is because if it doesn't feel right to do that within your current team or your current company, as in come up with a ritual and start something, also look more widely actually at your industry and have a think about whether you could do something like writer's hour for the marketing community or for the tech community. Um, and really like, don't be afraid to experiment. Like we're in a playground of experimentation right now. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> even those of us who've, uh, who've been uh, remote working for a decade. So yeah. everything's up for grabs. Like, and, it, for and it changes so quickly, right? Cause the, the technology, um, changes. And so what was, uh, you know, I started, uh, working remotely, you know, like you, even before LinkedIn, I was, I was working on a project between the Figaro and the New York times. So, you know, a newsroom in Paris, Paris and a newsroom in New York, that was in 2009. Oh my gosh, we weren't doing zooms like, and so, uh, but still somehow we, we, know we managed to work so that the, the technology is going to keep changing and therefore the ways that we work are going to keep changing. Uh, we have tons of great, like great questions coming in that I can't even keep up with. Uh, so we're going to go really kind of, uh, fire around like really quickly. Um, lightning round, sorry. Um, Marcella, Marcella, who's uh, hi, who's a member of borderline. So you can do like her and support the work at borderlinepod.com slash subscribe. That was my, my, uh, plug. 
Um, any tips on how to fix remotely what was already broken in the office? Right. If you just take a dysfunctional team in the office and you just make it a home team, they're still dysfunctional. Um, I think, and then I'm going to uh, send it to you, Lauren, but I think one thing that's interesting is actually um, it's a great diagnostic tool. What was broken about your team? Was it because it was in the office and the office wasn't working? Or is it something else that, you know, that remains when you're no longer in the office? Like, what was it that was broken? So, uh, you know, being able to kind of uh, change the environment, that's kind of your variable in the experiment to kind of understand uh, better what, what is going on. Um, Lauren, do you have suggestions on, on yeah, this question? Yeah. I totally agree with um I totally agree with uh with your assessment there, Isabel. Um I think that maybe the only thing that I would add is that I truly think that um some companies uh, are like not you cannot fix them essentially. Like <laughs> <Ouch>. uh, <laughs> I think that uh if you it really depends it depends on the exact nature of the dysfunction, of course. But um I wouldn't say that um a team that was already dysfunctional in the office and is sort of trying to translate exactly what they were doing there into a virtual environment. I don't think there's there's going to be a change there. Um, I do think there's an opportunity for employees um, and any team member really but to, to just kind of like step forward and say, hey, can we have some honest conversations about what's working and what's not working and maybe actually the turn to remote work gives you a bit more uh, of an ability to to do that because it's like the reason to start the conversation whereas perhaps a couple of years ago that wouldn't have been possible because where is the space to to kind of talk about the dysfunction mm. yeah and you have a, your response there uh Matilla from uh Mikhailo uh, as well um yeah suggesting you know you need to understand the diversity of each of your team members and uh yeah that's something that maybe you weren't able to do in the office because there were too many people around and uh it could get awkward but you can actually have a lot more one-on-one -on -one conversations and understand kind of where everybody's coming from um when you do that when you do that remotely and again if you're in the same city you can just go out for coffee but if you're not um you know you can do that via zoom and whatnot i mean we do we do everything on zoom now we do therapy on zoom we certainly can do uh you know, one-on-one -on -one with a manager. Uh, in fact, uh, that's, I did for a long time. I want to take a couple more questions, send your final questions. And I'm realizing we're already a half an hour, but there's so much good stuff here that I'm happy to continue unless you need to run, um, Lauren. I've got a little more time. All right. Let's, let's take a little bit more time. Um, I like this cash, this question from Emmanuel because, uh, how can I present myself as a credible person if I'm to work from Ghana for someone abroad? Uh, I mean, your being from Ghana doesn't make you any less credible <laughs> than, uh, than anyone else. I mean, the beauty of remote distributed work is, um, is that you can do it from anywhere. Now, the challenge that you might find, um, is like, even if some companies are increasingly they're open to remote work, but they still want to hire, um, in a country where they have a legal structure, where they have an office, where they have, uh, where they're incorporated, uh, you know, for tax reason, for um, social insurance, social benefits, everything kind of reason. So that's that might be the challenge. I know, Lauren, you were telling me the other day about some interesting innovations that are happening in that space. Yeah, so I'll try and keep it brief, but essentially there are a lot of new startups popping up at the moment, um, which are targeting companies that want to recruit people from overseas and helping them make sure that they are uh, contracting with people as freelancers in a completely like compliant way. So this like intermediary platform. Uh, for an example, I think one that I've um, come across is, is Hey Portal. 
portal.io h-e-y portal.io um, that's just one example there are many of them now but essentially these uh, these companies are popping up so that they are able to um, sort of be the intermediary step between people like Emmanuel and perhaps like a European or an American company um, who want to be able to work with him but actually don't want to set up a local office um, this kind of stuff basically makes it so that a company can sort of run a global payroll um, of freelancers um, and, be, and be able to kind of like uh, comply with all of the local regulations in whichever country somebody mm. is in. Um, one thing that I would say on just a really practical level is um, be really, really careful with American job applications in particular, because a lot of them ask you for like lots and lots of information, lots and lots of time and energy, um, and then don't even stay anywhere that they're only open to like US citizens. Um, I've actually been caught out with that uh, with a, a major, major media organization before. So I always want to like warn people against it. Like there's nothing wrong with like getting on the phone or sending an email to just try and clarify before you send in an application. Yeah, I, I had a friend who like just kind of went through the whole process and was like, hey, by the way, I don't have the visa that you're going to need. Like, are you going to sponsor me? Went, went through the whole process. And like at the very end, they were like, oh, we can't make this work, you know, legally. Um, and often that's because the hiring managers, you know, they want who they want for their team, for their project. They think your skills are amazing. They have no idea how immigration works. If they're not immigrants themselves, they've never encountered it. They have no idea how complex and restrictive it is um, the way that that we understand um, and so they just want to go for what they want to go for and like at the very end of the process when HR is drawing up the papers they're like oh never mind um, so yeah pick up the phone because you don't want to waste your time like your time is precious your job searching time is precious if anyone thinks you're not credible coming from Ghana oh my god you do not want to work for them like mm. that sounds dreadful um, all right, I'm going to like go through real quick. This is a great comment, which is too long for the screen, but check out the, the comment stream because there's some great stuff coming up. I'm just trying to pull out the questions. Um, there's a question. I see a question mark. I bring it up. Um, how are people managing their teams back to the office? That's the whole point. We don't want them back to the office, do we? <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, the second part of the question, uh, yeah. are they investing in remote software with COVID in mind too? So I do think that a lot of companies have sort of already made that shift in terms of like, if your company didn't have a Zoom subscription in March 2020 or April yeah. 2020, <laughs> they probably got one. I think we're going to see a lot of that stuff stick around. Um, and that does open up new opportunities, even if some people do go back to an office to work in new ways, to work with a broader kind of cross-section of people, um, perhaps globally. Um, but yeah, I think that um, in, in my view, like uh, getting the teams back to the office, i.e. literally trying to go back to what things were like in 2019, um, doesn't make a lot of business sense. Like it's probably not gonna get the best out of your teams. Um, it's probably not like the best approach if you want to kind of retain your talented workers and make sure that they are happy and make sure that you are competitive uh, in this new realm. Mm. One, uh, one um, solution that we haven't really talked about all that much is hybrid, right? So you're partly back in the office, partly not i'm a little i don't know i'm a little skeptical on that because if it's another um what company was it um some big tech silicon valley company that was like oh you know people are going to come back in on on monday tuesday thursday I'm like how is that any more flexible you know you're still putting a kind of a rigid structure in place that does not 
take into account per people's, you know, kind of personal um, situation. So yeah, you have to be in the office less, but you're still restricted in a way that uh, a lot of people are just not really willing to do. Like we don't have the whistle at the top of the factory telling us when to come in anymore. Like that's, that's old school. Yeah, I think um, it, it sort of, it opens the, it opens the door for there to be quite a big problem in terms of presenteeism as well, because if you're working two or three days a week at the office, um, then uh, you may well find that the managers who really wanted you to come back to the office are actually quite insistent that you're like staying until you've finished your work on those days. Like I'm, I'm hearing kind of stories from, from different um, friends around the world of kind of being told they need to work from the office for two days a week. And that ends up being two 12 hour days in the office. And then uh, the rest yeah. of the time, a sort of normal working day from home. And that that is hybrid failure. Like that is the polar opposite of what a successful hybrid work model looks like. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important that uh, employees, team members are in fact, like holding their companies to account on that because uh, it is going to just kind of breed a toxic culture. It's going to make it much a much worse human experience to work for that company. And even if you decide that you're going, if you're not going to stand for it, I think we all kind of have this obligation to educate companies on what it is that we want as individual humans right now. Um, and there's definitely an opportunity for that uh, on companies that are misstepping uh, in, in terms of that, that return to the office. Mm. And that's true too, when you're working um, from home or you're working uh, from, um, uh, you know, co-working space, or whatever, but especially if you're working from home, which is the day stretches and stretches because, you know, you wake up, you're right at your computer, you know, you don't really have that commute or whatever. So, uh, and, and it's easy to just not have that disconnect from work to home because often that's literally like sitting on a different side of a couch or something like, <laughs> um, so, so it is definitely, you know, something to keep in mind. I think we're all still, you know, both managers, employees, self-employed as well. Uh, that's certainly my experience at the moment. Um, you know, we're all kind of figuring out what the, where the, where the boundaries are. I like the idea that I know it's something you talk about a lot. It like, you know, forget work-life balance. It's more about like harmony and how do the two kind of, kind of fit together. But that's often used as an excuse to just be like, oh, sure. I can work at 11 PM because, you know, I took a break at 2 PM to, to pick up my kids or, or go to the gym. Like it's not kind of where, um. I want to go. Um, I realize we're, we're at 40 minutes. I think we're going to close it for today. Anything else that you want to, that you want to touch on? Lauren? I think I just want to respond to, um, Mikhail's question, which, oh, uh, yeah. how many hours a week will be ideal in the hybrid workspace? Um, because this is actually a really important point about distributed work is that, uh, we should stop thinking about work in terms of time and instead think about output. So what, is, what are the goals that you need to achieve and how quickly, not how many hours are you going to work? How many hours you work is an input and what you actually get done is the output. Um, and a lot of asynchronous um, communicators, a lot of distributed companies um, are actually really, really bullish on uh, having no interest in, in the number of hours that you're spending. I.e. If you're, if you're being paid for 40 hours a week, but you're getting your work done perfectly in 10, that's fine for them and they're not going to argue with it. Um, I think that's just a kind of useful framing. The yeah. final thing that I'd just like to say is I'm very bad at self-promotion, but I have a newsletter. If you'd yes. like to keep in touch anybody, <laughs> uh, you'll find me at 
lraz, that's L-R-A-Z or Z for the Americans, uh, .substack.com. Um, that's totally free of charge. So please feel free to uh, sign up and drop me an email sometime and reply if, uh, if you fancy a chat. Absolutely. It is a great newsletter. I read it every week. Um, so strong recommend. Um, and to your point, uh, one, one kind of final point I wanted to make as well is I'm, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, a lot of the conversation we're having is around, um, professional kind of jobs, which can be more self-guided, which, uh, where you have a little bit more, um, freedom, um, than, uh, some of the, um, more hourly job, which again, are hour based two things on that one. I saw that, um, LinkedIn recently, uh, did some, um, uh, put out some research around kind of the fastest growing remote work, um, in, in the United States, I think it was, but, but it applies really everywhere. And it's not all, uh, you know, it's not all professional desk-based it's, you know, there, there's a lot of other things. Um, the other, you know, when you were pointing out, you know, not doing by the hour reminding me there's been the system has been, uh, for decades in Marseille in the south of France with um, waste collection. So the, the garbage collectors are paid not by the hour, but by when is the garbage collected? And if you can do it, and if you can do it in 10 hours, like why we're just going to leave you on your truck for another 12, like just so you're you've put in the hours. That's ridiculous. Now with that, <laughs> unfortunately in Marseille, that's often meant that the job is half-assed because then they could get out early. So there is that question of quality control. Um, but if you fix that, then it's absolutely um, something something that can be done. It's just reminding me of. I'm also terrible at self-promotion, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you, My work is at borderlinepod.com. You can find the podcast, which uh, just had a great episode, if I'm going to say so myself, come out yesterday, uh, which I love. There's a newsletter that you can subscribe to. A lot of it is free. You can support it uh, with a paid membership. Actually, a lot of it is free. And uh, and uh, yeah, I hope you'll you'll join us there. There's a community of, of global citizens talking about work and life and immigration and all these things that happen in the spaces between uh, countries and cultures where a lot of us live now including the two of us. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone. We're going to sign off. Um, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. Same time. We're going to keep doing this, um, uh, throughout the summer minus a few weeks where we'll be on holiday, but, um, we'll, we'll keep talking about working across borders. So mm. stay tuned for the next one. And feel free, feel free to get in touch with us. If there's something in particular you'd like to hear us talk about, because, uh, we're very happy to, to do that. Totally. Drop it in the comments. Uh, my email is isa, isa at borderlinepod.com. Um, you know, get in touch. Thanks, guys. Bye.